Today's Bible readings come from Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. And then we're moving on to John, chapters 15, verses 26 to 27, and chapter 16, verses 4 to 15. Uh, we'll start with the Acts reading, which can be found on page 1032 of the um, Church Bibles. The John chapters are on page 1022, which we'll go to afterwards. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If we now turn to John, which is page 1023 in the Church Bibles. When the Advocate comes... Whom will I send to you from the Father? The Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father. He will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? 
Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Linda's going to come and speak to us this morning, so let's pray for Linda as she prepares to share from those passages. Father God, thank you for your word of truth. Thank you for its power to speak into our lives and shape us into the likeness of your Son. Thank you that you speak through your word by your Spirit. And so we pray this morning, Lord, that you would bring anointing to Linda's words, that they may speak richly into our heart and mind and guide us into your presence and purposes for our lives. This we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you, Linda. Good morning. So, here we are on Pentecost Sunday, one of the most important dates in the church's calendar. As Matthew's already indicated, it's often regarded as the birthday of God's church. And as we heard in the passage from Acts this morning, Acts chapter 2, it was a moment in history when the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, touched the lives of Jesus' followers in a dramatic and powerful way, transforming them both individually and as a community. Just backtracking, if we recall after the resurrection, Jesus was able to spend several weeks with his disciples, teaching them, encouraging them, just enjoying time together while they still had time together physically. But then he did leave them physically once again, what we refer to as the ascension But he didn't leave them before promising that they would not be left entirely alone for the future, as they probably feared. And they faithfully followed his instructions to wait in Jerusalem for the arrival of the Holy Spirit, whoever that was. And it was their experience at Pentecost that enabled them to continue Jesus' mission and ministry in a way that they probably never, ever imagined would be possible. And every time I come to Pentecost, every year, I'm reminded strikingly that I actually wouldn't be here had Pentecost not happened. Because without Pentecost, the good news of God's love in Jesus Christ could not have spread through Jerusalem, through Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth as originally intended. 
without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to empower the lives, not just of Jesus' first disciples, but of all the disciples that have followed down, down the ages, including those who introduced me to God's love, who shared the gospel with me, who encouraged me to make a commitment to Jesus. I wouldn't be here otherwise. So we really need to thank God for Luke, the author of Acts, who faithfully recorded how it was that a small group of frightened, puzzled, and largely uneducated men and women were empowered to reveal that gospel through their words and their deeds for the benefit and blessing of future generations, a task that they've passed on to us to accomplish in our generation for future generations. Maybe it's helpful at the start of these reflections to just briefly overview what the Bible reveals to us about the nature and work of God's Spirit in the world. Who is the Holy Spirit and what is he or she there to do? Well, if we looked at the Old Testament, we'd find frequent references to the Spirit of God or the Spirit of the Lord. We'd only find two references to the Holy Spirit. But if we go on into the New Testament, we find multiple references to the Holy Spirit and also the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of Jesus. So the, Holy, the, the New Testament broadens its language to include these additional phrases. But whether we're looking at Old Testament or New Testament references, we find there's a similar sense or meaning underlying them. The Old Testament Hebrew scriptures use the word ruach for spirit. The Greek New Testament uses the Greek word pneuma. That's a word that we can recognize from our modern day use of pneumatic, pneumatic drill, an instrument of power which requires breath. And both words, ruach and Numa carry the sense of breath or wind because breath is fundamental to all living things, whether physically or spiritually, and wind implies power, often unpredictable and probably not always under our control. So both the Old Testament and the New Testament consistently present the Spirit as the powerful agent of God, an agent who actively reveals God's power at work in his world, breathing his life into all things and empowering his creation and his creatures, including you and me, to fulfill God's purposes. In the Old Testament, we see God's power revealed through the activity of creation from the very first page of the Bible, which we looked at last week. In the book of Genesis. But later on we see it in Job and the Psalms. God's power revealed through the activity of creation. And if we look at other Old Testament books like Deuteronomy and Judges or Samuel, Kings and Chronicles, we see God's spirit empowering individuals. Individuals whom God calls and whom he anoints for his service. We could look at Moses, as we saw in Exodus, or Joshua, leaders of God's people, empowered by God's Spirit. We could look at Judges, Gideon and Samson, or prophets, Elijah and Samuel, or kings like Saul and David and Solomon, 
all were empowered by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord, to fulfill God's purposes. And though it's tempting to think that the empowering Spirit of God in the Old Testament was restricted to individuals, such as those I've mentioned, we should perhaps also note the occasion in the book of Numbers when the Spirit was given simultaneously to 70 elders to help Moses in his leadership role. Moses just couldn't carry on doing it all by himself. Perhaps a foretaste of what would happen at Pentecost. And some Old Testament references point forward in time to a moment when God's chosen one, the Messiah, will be anointed with the Spirit. We find references in Isaiah. And the prophets Joel and Ezekiel even mention a time when God will pour out his spirit on all people, regardless of gender, men and women, regardless of age, old and young, regardless of their origins. And that spirit will give them a new heart. So let's not think that the Holy Spirit didn't arrive until Pentecost. By the time we reach the New Testament, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is well established as an agent of God's power. And the task of the Spirit is to reveal God's power in this world, in his world, a power that is creative and transformative of all that exists, including human beings in all their frailties, as we've been considering already this morning. But it's also true that the New Testament brings us a fresh, and I would argue a more personalized experience or perspective on the activity of the Holy Spirit. And I'd like to suggest three ways in our reflections in which the New Testament points us towards a deeper understanding of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit who reveals. The Spirit who reveals. What does the Spirit reveal? First of all, I think we could look at the way the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus' identity and mission. It all starts there. But the Holy Spirit, secondly, reveals Jesus to his followers. And when we sing verses like, I want to see you, we're asking the Holy Spirit to come and reveal Jesus to us his followers. But that's not where it's supposed to stop. The Holy Spirit is sent by God to reveal Jesus to the world. And we'll think about what that means in our own time. So the Holy Spirit's task of revealing Jesus' identity and mission, we can see from the New Testament passages that it is the Holy Spirit who reveals and confirms the truth about Jesus, about who Jesus is, his identity, and why he came, his mission. And this was actually a theme we traced quite recently through our studies in John's Gospel, when individuals encountered Jesus and he was revealed to them in relation to his identity, who he was, and his mission, what he came to do. Luke's gospel, in particular, makes references throughout to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. Right from the moment when Jesus embarks upon a human existence, 
all the way through to his adult ministry of preaching and teaching and healing. Luke is the one who tells us that the Holy Spirit was instrumental in Jesus' conception. And when Jesus preaches for the first time in the synagogue at Nazareth, he uses Isaiah's words to make a startling claim about who he is and why he has come. He uses Isaiah's words to say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do, and look at the passage, the things that will reveal God's love to the world. And he ends his sermon that morning by saying, today this prophecy has been fulfilled before your very eyes. But maybe we see the Holy Spirit's role as the revealer of Jesus' God-given identity and mission most clearly when Jesus is baptized in the River Jordan by his cousin John the Baptist. Remember, the prophet Isaiah had promised centuries earlier that God's chosen one, the Messiah and a descendant of King David, would be anointed with the Spirit. And so Luke and the other Gospel writers vividly describe how heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit rested on Jesus in a bodily form, like a dove. A symbol that is so often used of the Holy Spirit. And a voice came from heaven and the words of the voice said, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. John's Gospel records John the Baptist saying, I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John saw and testified that this was God's chosen one. So this was the moment at Jesus' baptism when the Spirit of God anointed God the Son. And that was confirmed with the words of God the Father. And it's hard to imagine what greater revelation and confirmation of Jesus' true identity and mission could have occurred. It was the Holy Spirit who was given the task of revealing and confirming this truth for John the Baptist and others who were present that day. And it's the Holy Spirit who continues to convict individuals of who Jesus is and why he has come and why he is important in their lives. We have a role to play, but always remember it's the Holy Spirit at work in an individual's life, creating that new heart and that new spiritual existence. But of course, the Holy Spirit's second task is to play a part in revealing Jesus to those who've chosen to follow him. It's the Holy Spirit who helps Jesus' disciples in every age to remember and understand his teaching, just as Jesus had during his physical earthly life with his own disciples. It's the Holy Spirit who helps us to grow to be more like Jesus, just as Jesus had in his own earthly life as he modelled for his disciples what it meant to be a person of God and to live a godly life and to be a member of the kingdom. 
In the section of John's Gospel that was read to us this morning, we heard Jesus explaining to his friends how it was necessary for him to return to the Father in order that he could send the Holy Spirit to be alongside his disciples, but not only his own disciples, all disciples in the future. If he didn't do that, then Jesus' presence with his followers could not continue. He couldn't always be with all Christians for all time. Jesus' presence with his followers through the Holy Spirit would no longer be constrained by the limitations of time or space. And Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit as an advocate. Like a good lawyer or a barrister, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, comes alongside us, helping us to remember what's relevant and important in our faith, helping us to untangle the confusions in our understanding, to get our facts straight, helping us to tell God's story and our own story faithfully, to testify, as you would in a courtroom, with conviction. And as we seek God's Holy Spirit's help in these things, so we are better equipped to testify to God's loving purposes. And we can contribute to the discernment of truth, to the pursuit of righteousness and the upholding of justice, which is what a courtroom and a legal system should be about. So I wonder, when we're confused by Jesus' words or actions, do we ask for the Holy Spirit's help in understanding? When we struggle to know what to pray for or how to pray, do we seek the Holy Spirit's help to lead us in our praying? If we lack patience or peace, faithfulness or self-control, or any other godly quality, do we ask for the Spirit's help in transforming us? If we're unsure of the gifts that God has given us or the ministry to which he's calling us, do we ask for the Spirit's help in transforming us and seek the Spirit's guidance in leading us forward? If we're uncertain what to think or say or do in a given situation, is the Holy Spirit the first person you go to to seek wisdom? I think if I was honest, I wouldn't say that the Holy Spirit is always my first port of call. Maybe he's not for you either. But I think it would make a difference if he was. It does make a difference. If we want to experience the strong presence of Jesus in our lives, if we want to see him, then it's the Holy Spirit who can reveal him to us. But if we fail to acknowledge the centrality of the Holy Spirit in our lives, if we never ask for or accept the help that is offered, then we are less likely to know God's presence and power in our lives and our lives are less likely to be transformed by him as God intends and desires. And if that's the case, then we risk preventing the Holy Spirit from revealing Jesus to the wider world as well. For that, I would suggest, is the third key 
task of the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to the wider world through us. So the Holy Spirit should be at work in our individual and our corporate lives, empowering us as a community of Christians to reveal his body here on earth now, his church here in this time and place. And this takes place through the message of our words and also through the example of our lives. Maybe it's significant that when the day of Pentecost came, Jesus' followers were all together in one place, one body. And the outcome was that all of them were touched by the Spirit's power. Men and women, old and young, differing languages and nationalities, origins and educational levels. And they all had a part to play in what unfolded that day and in the days to come. At Pentecost, we see how the Christian gospel was shared in languages that all could access and understand, regardless of their origins. The Holy Spirit empowered the disciples on that day of Pentecost to reveal Jesus of Nazareth as Messiah, as Son of God, to the world of their day. And we too are called and challenged to find innovative and culturally relevant ways of communicating the Christian story in our day, in our world, where we cannot necessarily make assumptions about shared background knowledge or understanding. And so we can ask ourselves, how best can we declare the wonders of God in a language that others will understand? I'm really encouraged and I hope we'll pray for the Meet the Neighbours event tomorrow in Upper Camborne. For this is surely an initiative which is trying to communicate in a language that will be understandable the presence and love of God. To create a place where stories can be heard and shared. But it's not just through our words Later in Acts 2, Luke tells us how it was not only the message the disciples preached that day that revealed Jesus to the wider world, it was also their spirit-filled behavior, their spirit-led lifestyle, their spirit-inspired community of believers, which had such an impact on those around them, who observed as they met together, as they prayed together, as they worshiped together, as they served one another's needs, as they shared all that they had in common, as they lived a life that was so radically different, perhaps, from conventional standards. And if we think about the way in which we have an opportunity to do this today, in our context, we could look to the food bank. We could look to the parish nursing project. These are the initiatives which are inspired by God's spirit and which will impact on his world, revealing Jesus' love in ways that we perhaps can't even imagine. And last weekend, there was an event that took place that uh, brought this home for me um, in, a, in a very radical way. And I'm going to invite Steve to come up and share something about that, because for me... It epitomizes 
something that took place in Acts, but which has continued down the centuries and which God calls us to today. It's okay. Take your time, Steve. That's all right. Do you want me to talk? Yeah. Okay. Hello. Um, Well, last weekend, the men of Camborne Church descended en masse to our garden to lay a path because um, I've become really quite unwell in the last few years and this isn't going to go away. And I've always done everything for myself. But digging and laying slabs is now beyond my capabilities. And I let slip to Lee Packham Brown by mistake that I needed some help. And then he marshaled the troops with amazing efficacy. And I was amazed to find that these guys came to our house to dig and lay a path and a patio and to dig out huge areas of our garden and to weed the roses beds and to lay membrane and to put down chippings of bark. Um, It was people I didn't even know, people who weren't actually even Christians or who came to church, who had just been to the food bank and had heard about this. And it really was an amazing example of how much can be done when people just come together for something really simple and really straightforward. And it's made, for me, an incredible change. It was so humbling to receive this incredible gift, which will stay with me forever and with, the rest, with my family as well. You know, to just think that people would care sufficiently to bother to do that. A small path may seem small, but actually, for me, it was an amazing thing. But more so than what I received and we received, I've realised the effect it's had on the community. Because that night I met in the co-op, one of the neighbours who shares a, a fence with us who I'd never spoke to. And they'd overheard this going on. And they said it sounded like amazing fun what was going on, and I explained. And they couldn't believe that people would just do this without any payment or any reciprocal thing required. My mum came. She's, she's not into the Christian thing. And I think she just, again, was similarly amazed to see people pull together and just work together with no reward required at all, just out of the goodness of their hearts. And what we had that day, I think was something quite special. I'm hoping that the people who worked on it sort of felt a real connection with people in the church in a really amazing way. And I'm glad you asked me just to say a couple of words because it made me think really hard about um, Nehemiah, which is a guy in the Old Testament who was the cupbearer to King Ataxerxes, who was the most powerful man in the world. And Nehemiah got it in his mind one day to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And he plucked up courage to ask the king for permission to go to Jerusalem. He went to Jerusalem, carefully looked around the walls, which would be knocked down, and somehow the Jews came together, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, and after decades, maybe hundreds of years, the wall was suddenly rebuilt. And there's a wonderful passage in the Bible where... It's a big list of who, all who's there. It says, and these guys did this bit with his sons, and next to them were these people with his sons, and they did this bit, and next to them were these people. And all these people were doing their all small bit, and suddenly the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt. And the walls were a massive testament, which all could see to the glory of God. And 
on Pentecost Day, where we're reminded about drawing together and what we can do through the power of the Spirit. I just think it's a really wonderful example of how relatively small things can make a difference, not only to the people for whom they're done, but to all those who witness it around them. And hopefully the interest will be raised for people to want to find out more. And is this what we had in mind? Absolutely. Oh, it is. <laughs> okay, so um, I shall conclude by saying I'm, thank you enormously. And the bench broke on first sitting. <laughs> it turns out... It turns out the benches weren't quite up to speed, but we didn't make those. That was an external party. <laughs> so we should pray for them. That they strengthen their support and so on. <laughs> Thank you very Thanks. much, Steve. <laughs> impact. The impact of the Holy Spirit working through ordinary people's lives, coming together and making a difference, as Steve said, not just to those who were immediately involved, but sowing seeds around the community, seeds which we should pray God will enable to grow, for it's God's Holy Spirit that gives the growth. We have our role to play in watering and nurturing, but God's Spirit will grow and lead to fruitfulness. So today on Pentecost Sunday, we celebrate and we give thanks to God for the presence and power of his Holy Spirit, both in the lives of individual Christians and of Christ's body, the church. And the teaching of Jesus in John's Gospel about the Holy Spirit, which we've heard and read today, and Luke's account of the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, challenge us here in our place and time to ask ourselves some searching questions about God's presence and power in our lives. So I'd just like to encourage you this morning to take away with you some questions this week to reflect on as an individual and as a community body. What do you think the Holy Spirit will reveal to you this week about Jesus? in your daily living? How will the Holy Spirit bring the presence and power of Jesus close to you? Will you be looking out for it? Will you be seeking it? And how will the Holy Spirit be at work in you this week so that Jesus can be revealed to those that you come into contact with day by day, to members of your family, to your neighbours, to your work colleagues? Perhaps we can pray that this year, Pentecost will be a day that sets us on fire so that Christ can be revealed to us and through us in new and wondrous ways. Amen. <laughs>